0: Start small because you have to remember it took years for all that stuff to get there. So it's not going to take an hour for it to be depleted. Work in small increments. Work in small spaces to boost up your confidence. Work through it. And if you know stuff has to go in the garbage, put it in the trash. Stuff has to go to a nation, put it in your trunk in your car and drive it. Because you'll be tempted to take stuff out of there.
1: Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll hear about menopause and the natural treatment of hot flashes. We'll discuss decluttering for downsizing or aging in place. We'll learn all about aphrodisiacs. And lastly, we'll explore how to kick unwanted habits. But first, a little bit of business. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely Natural Liquid Greens. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality of natural products in the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? I am happy as always and happy to be here even more. Excellent. So today, neither of us are personally qualified to talk about this. We haven't lived through it. No, we have not. But, you know, our years- Vicariously. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'm not going to get into that trap. But, you know, through our years uh, in the health and wellness industry, obviously we see what's coming down the pipe and it's a huge issue for a lot of our listeners and that is menopause. Oh yeah. So let's start at the very beginning. What is menopause? I'm really happy to be doing this because this
3: confusion around this is incredibly gargantuan. Mm -hmm. Almost everyone I spoke to didn't know exactly what it was, and there was a little bit of awkward silence when I brought up the topic, so I'm happy we're covering it. So what menopause actually is, very simple, it's the time after a woman's menstrual cycle stops, essentially when their fertility ends. It's a normal part of aging. It is not a disease or a disorder. I'd like to clarify that. It is not a disease or disorder. It is a natural biological function that will happen guaranteed. And should happen. Definitely. Oh, without question. Clinically, it's considered to have start exactly 12 months after the last menstruation. And that is, of course, without a specific medical cause, because if you have some medical causes, i.e. Uh, hysterectomy or chemotherapy, it can happen earlier than that, but it's clinically 12 months after the last one.
1: Okay. So with the notion of menopause comes with the symptomology, which is, I yep. think, what, what everybody sort of needs to wrap their head around. <laughs> what are the actual symptoms of menopause as opposed to perimenopause, which we're going to get into,
3: right? Yep. Well, the symptoms are divided into two classes. There's the physical symptoms and there's the emotional symptoms. And it's not as though one is more important than the other because they go hand in hand and they affect each other. So physically, it's hot flashes, memory issues, fatigue, bladder infections, incontinence, change in libido, and vaginal dryness. For the emotional symptoms, they're sleep disruptions, lower energy levels, Irritability, moodiness, painful sex, and depression. And if you look at those lists, they do intertwine with each other. Of course. Yep. And and that's where some people have serious issues in that they start with one of the emotional problems. Symptoms. Symptoms, yeah. thank you. One of the emotional symptoms, then they experience one of the physical symptoms. And they feed on each other, and then the emotional gets worse, then it feeds and feeds and feeds and feeds right.
1: in a never-ending loop, essentially. Right. So it's a cycle of discomfort that sort of reverberates, right? Correct. As one issue arises, others can flow from it. And it, as they worsen in people that
3: don't do anything about it and just try and live with it, it's ripe for depression.
1: Okay. So those symptoms that you discussed, are those symptoms of menopause or the process of going to menopause or paramenopause? A bit of both. And and we'll dissect that in, in, in a few minutes. Okay. But before we get there, why do women go through menopause physiologically? Like, why do we do that? Well, when I mentioned that I was doing this to a friend of
3: mine, her initial response was it's a cruel joke, but there is actually a biological reason behind it. And the biological reason is called the grandmother hypothesis. And to discover this, researchers had to look at the only other species other than humans that go through menopause, and the only species that do it other than humans are specifically toothed whales, those being belugas, norwals, killer whales, and short fin pilot whales. And you're probably listeners wondering, why the heck do I care? Well, the reason is it was easy to look at those species and see how
0: the The whales that have gone
3: through menopause how they interacted and what their roles were. It's much easier to do it in animal species than it is in humans right? because we so, tend to lie. So this
1: is a sociological study as, correct? as opposed to a biological study. Correct.
3: And what they found was that older females that have gone through menopause play a vital role in helping to feed, raise, and teach the generations that follow past them, that being children and grandchildren. They found that by doing that, those women are ensuring the survival and the thriving of their offspring. They found that older women are better off if they stop reproducing and focus on helping the children when it comes to the children's survival because it gives them the best shot at what's called the genetic legacy. If they kept reproducing... The problem would be they'd find that they would spend so much time on the youngest um, child. The progeny, head, yeah. Progeny, thank you. That they would be ignoring the other ones, and their survival would be in jeopardy. By stopping reproducing and then being able to focus on all of the progeny, they are giving them a leg up and a big leg up, both in food and and as well in nurturing.
1: Right. And, and I would presume that tied into this is the longevity of the animals that go through uh, menopause, right? Definitely. Because, because whales tend to live longer on average than other animals. Yes. Not as long, obviously, as humans, although it's a, it's a separate issue. But, but also, um, my understanding is that whale pods are female-led as well. Yep. So from a sociological perspective, it, it, you know, if you have the responsibility of leading your group Uh, Not having to reproduce would make things easier. You could focus on the actual leadership, which is, I think, what you're saying in terms of humans as well. It's a leadership issue Mm -hmm. for women because then they're not bogged down with the reproduction into their later years.
3: Correct. And if you think about it, also look at our population here. How often have you heard where a senior woman is the primary caregiver to multiple members of her family? Right. Right. Because she can, she's nurturing, they have the knowledge and the ability to do it.
1: Okay. So it's the exact same thing. Let's talk about perimenopause now. What is it, and what are those symptoms as compared to menopause? Okay. Well, there's a lot of confusion around where
3: perimenopause is, what it is, versus menopause itself. Right. So in the years leading up to menopause, most women will have changes in their monthly cycles. Hot flashes also, unfortunately, sorry. And other symptoms that they automatically attribute to, okay, well, maybe I'm going through menopause now. No, it isn't. It's actually perimenopause. These years are called perimenopause, or other people also call them the transitional years. It usually begins somewhere between age 45 and 55 and lasts about seven years. For some women, it can last as many as 14 years. Wow. Okay, it's long. During the transition What ends up happening is, physiologically, the body's production of estrogen and progesterone, the two hormones made by the ovaries, starts to slowly decrease. Mm -hmm. And the slow decreasing, that's what causes all of the symptoms. They often experience spotty menstrual cycles, sleep disruptions, and as I said earlier, hot flashes. Now, physiologically... Bones become less dense, leading to risk of fractures. And on top of that, energy, the way your body uses energy changes. So you can end up all of a sudden being more lethargic, and you can also put on weight rapidly. Hmm. That's... mm. Now, here's one of the interesting things about it. In the last one to two years of perimenopause, the rate of hormone decreasing increases dramatically. At this part of it, so just before actual menopause, women can start to, to endure all the symptoms of menopause as their body reacts to that rapid decrease.
1: I see. So even though they're still menstruating, they're getting all the symptoms as if they are experiencing menopause where they no longer have the cycle.
3: Correct. And the reason that happens is
1: even though your body
3: is still producing the hormones, it's such a rapid decline and such a dramatic decline that your body's struggling to figure out how to handle it.
1: Okay. So all women go through it. And now we're going to tell them how they might be able to deal with it naturally. Okay. (laughs) All right. So where do you want to start? Well, the first thing to say, regrettably, it is going to happen.
3: There is no way to avoid the symptoms. If you are one of those women who has, and you just have a checklist, I'm going to get this, 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 and this, it's going to happen. You're not going to avoid it. What you can best try and do is minimize the duration, the severity, and the frequency of what's going to happen.
1: Okay, so how would a woman do that?
3: Well, the biggest one that most women have on the top of their list is hot flashes. Right. And the reason it is hot flashes is they're the one that is the most bothersome, and it is the one that most causes a reduction in quality of life. What is a hot flash? So, okay. Hot flashes are essentially what happens is the blood vessels nearest to the skin start to expand. That expansion causes a rapid onset, heating up, reddening, and in some cases, sweating to occur. And this could be out of nowhere, all of a sudden, you're feeling great, everything is good. 30 seconds later, you feel like you've just entered a blast furnace. Hmm. For some women, they last a couple seconds. Other women, they can last 5, 10, 15, even I've seen as high as 25 minutes they can go from literally 10, 15 degree difference. It's massive hmm. how different it can be. And it's remarkably uncomfortable. For some women, it's predictable. They, For example, I get one every day at two o'clock, or I get one half an hour after I do this. For other women, it's
1: completely unpredictable. So there's no external predictable catalyst that's going to cause somebody to have hot flashes. It's- Random, yep. and it's just a function of perimenopause. That's it. Correct. But there are triggers.
3: Okay. And they're not triggers for everyone. Some people, one trigger is, other people it isn't. So people do have to know their own triggers. Common triggers are stress, restrictive, tight clothing, caffeine, alcohol, specific spicy foods, smoke, and that is from cigarettes, vaping, or cigars, heat, and inactivity. And what I mean by those, for example, when I say inactivity is you're more likely to suffer hot flashes, and they're more likely to be more frequent and more severe if you're someone who's fairly lethargic. If you're someone, for example, who goes to spin class regularly or goes to yoga class or goes, to, goes walking regularly through the neighborhood, they're not going to be as bad and they're not going to be as frequent as they would be. They may still be bad. They may still be frequent, but they won't be as bad as they would be. If you're around cigarette smoke a lot, it's probably going to be a problem. Okay. And tight clothing just makes sense. (laughs) Being around a hot environment just makes sense.
1: Right. So don't do hot yoga. If you're going to do the yoga, don't do hot yoga.
3: Agreed. Spicy food, that's an interesting one. For individual people, the actual spice is going to be different. For example, I know some people who, yes, they're menopause. Yes, they go through hot flashes. They can have things with chili, unbelievably, no problem. Give them something high in ginger and they are, it sets them off. Hmm. And I'm sure it's reversed for other people. Stress, that just makes sense because stress, with all of us, stress causes your hormones to go nuts. Like everything else,
1: your body has to find a way to react. Okay. All right, so... Now we know what can trigger hot flashes, and we know what they are, other than avoiding the foods that might be triggers for you. And I suppose that's a trial, and, uh, trial basis, right? Definitely. If you, if you note that something is triggering the hot flash, avoid that food. That's easy enough. What else can a woman do if, if they're experiencing hot flashes? Well, the first thing you always want to do
3: if you're someone who experiences hot flashes is to stay cool. Yep. And staying cool means a lot of different things. One, quite frankly, have fans around. Mm-hmm. around you, circulating the air, even if they're on low all the time, just to have a nice, cool air going around you. The other one is to have what is referred to as a chill pillow. It's a pillow at night that may have cooling memory foam, water, or other cooling material, even something like a mild ice pack, just to have something there that can keep you cool just in case. Where light, clothing and do it in layers so that, for example, in the winter like this, you can pull off a layer or two and still be okay if need be. The other big thing to do is exercise. Yep. And I'm not telling you to go out and pretend you're Lou Ferrigno or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yep. Just do something regularly that gets the heart rate going, gets the blood circulating. It essentially gives your body some ability to manage heat regulation better. Because
1: your body has to do that when you're exercising. Okay. So we we have time for one more topic, and that is, are there supplements that can help with the hot flashes? There are. There's three
3: ones that are quite common. One is sage. It's a traditional remedy for hot flashes and night sweats. Researchers found that users who took a really strong medicinal sage managed to get a 60% reduction in frequency of hot flashes. EPA, which is one of the omega-3 long-chain fatty acids found in fish oil and in algae oil, found had a significant reduction in hot flash frequency and duration as well. Yep. And the last one is black cohosh. Black cohosh has been used for centuries for this. There is, however, one
1: proviso. If you have liver issues, don't go near black cohosh. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, what you. are we going to discuss next month? Are we going to discuss more menopause issues? Definitely. I've, there's a lot more to talk about here. I'd love to do it. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to overcome emotional eating on The Tonic. You're a genuine health enthusiast listening to this show today. And Activation Products is your dream come true when it comes to living a very long, pain-free, energized life. Your body's craving heirloom, nano, and micronutrients that you'll use to elevate your whole body's health in ways you had no idea were possible. Activation makes all this possible no matter how old or young you are. The precious time, energy, and money you invest to be healthy is taken very seriously by Activation. It's their responsibility to deliver to you the most efficacious health products available in the world today. People consistently report back the most beautiful health results when they daily consume products from Activation. Treat yourself now and find out what it's like to live in a luxurious body, making every day a joy to be alive. Go to ActivationProducts.com and subscribe for the most important health information and products. Or call 1-866-271-7595. Everything is ready. Here are the keys. That's all anyone wants to hear by the end of their downsizing experience. So leave the declutter, downsize, and design work to Dynamic Downsizers.
0: I felt like I had good friends helping me move with Dynamic Downsizers. My pictures were hung, the garbage was gone, and my bed was even made when I came in.
1: Dynamic Downsizers will set you up in your new home on the day of your move. To get your free quote today, call Dynamic Downsizers at 416-288-8368.
4: You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio.
1: Anne Misales is a member of the Decorators and Designers Association of Canada and continues her education in residential and commercial design, as well as designing for the aging population. As founder of Macellas Designs, Inc. and Dynamic Downsizers, she believes that the home should be decluttered, organized, and designed based on how individuals function in their space. Rosemary Chamello is a member of the Professional Organizers of Canada and continues her education in aging in place, independent, assisted, and long-term elder care. She enjoys organizing people tailored to their space and circumstances. She believes that every person can be their best self and feel liberated by having organized systems in place. Welcome to the show.
4: Thank you. Hello.
1: We're going to talk about a topic that I think is everybody's sort of secret little... and that is they live maybe not quite as hoarders, but they have accumulated a lot of things and perhaps they need to declutter, right? Absolutely. So why do you see, like, what do you see? Why do you think decluttering is such an issue for people?
0: I think if we live lives simpler, we can simply live. So things are in place. You're not spending time trying to find things. Stress, it relieves stress. You're not running around trying to find your keys. Things are in order. People that you live with can live an organized life, too, so you're not always directing traffic for them.
1: But why do you think so many people live in clutter? Like, like what, What's causing that?
0: The guilt of holding on to things. We are a generation where we've accumulated stuff, more so than any other generations in the past. So we have a guilt factor holding on to things. We think we need them, or we've paid too much money for items. So let's hold on to them.
1: We have boxes in our basement filled full of stuff that we got for our wedding, which at the the (laughs) time we thought, you know, oh, we're going to use this, we're going to use that. And, you know, we just, for various reasons, it could be the fine chinaware that you actually can't put in the dishwasher, right? So it never gets used. Yeah, that's right. Uh, And so it sits in boxes and you kind of have to walk around the boxes to get to the (laughs) second fridge that we have for all the extra food that we have. And I think a lot of people live that way.
0: Yeah. Uh, And if it's not useful, it's time to let it go. And it's okay to let it go.
1: So are are you a condoite? Are are you to you, you believe in Mary Kondo and everything she espouses?
0: I appreciate her as as I do other designers as well. I think you have to take from all of them to find what works for you. That's really important. So I'll give you an example. I struggle hard to believe with paperwork and it took me years to realize I'm not a tickler. I don't like file folders. I like putting things in like mail slots.. Right. So when you find out what works for you, Put them in place and your life just changes. Well, what if
1: nothing works for you? What if you're the type of person (laughs) that just kind of leaves envelopes and papers everywhere? I was a commercial litigator and I literally hate paper. Part of the reason I don't practice anymore is it wasn't, I love going to court. I just couldn't handle the paper. Like I I couldn't organize myself.
0: So you find a a system, you find a place in your home where you drop your paperwork and then you make... Time for it once a week, once every two weeks, and you go through it. Help me,
1: Rosemary. Where do I start to declutter? <laughs> what do I do? What, what do, I do?
0: <laughs> well, you open your front door, and you take a deep breath, and you look at the hot spots, the places that need to be decluttered. Right. And you just start. But start small because you have to remember it took years for all that stuff to get there. Right. So it's not going to take an hour for it to be depleted. Work in small increments. Work in small spaces to boost up your confidence. Work through it. And if you know stuff has to go in the garbage, put it in the trash. Stuff has to go to a nation, put it in your trunk in your car, and drive it. Because you'll be tempted to take stuff out of there. Yeah. So <laughs> and then once you gear up, you'll get it done.
1: What if you're a procrastinator though? Like mm,
0: you need to call in a friend yeah. to help you. That's it? Well that that's that's what that, if well, you're,
1: what if you're friendless? god you
3: have
0: the worst case scenario. i know right yes here's the thing if you're ready to declutter you will do it that's the first important mindset is i'm ready to go Let's get it done. Obviously, that's the first step you started. Congratulations. You so, want to do it and you do it.
4: Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, maybe people can't move forward on their own. Maybe they do need to hire a company that comes in and works with them and just accomplishes something at the end of that day because it really liberates you when it, I don't even care if it's a junk drawer Yeah. at the end of the day. If that's clear, it is a feeling of huh. I did it, and g- people are willing to move on to the next step. Then, you know, the next spot in your house that is the the bad spot, the hot spot.
1: I gave myself a little project over the holidays, and that is I cook a lot, mm-hmm. and we had you know the traditional sp- you know, all the spices in in the bottles, right? Oh yeah, but literally, I wouldn't say we had a hundred different spices. We had well over a hundred different bottles and it was getting to the point where it was a chore to cook because you had to hunt through everything Look, to get yeah. to it. Right. So I went and I bought these containers that could open from the top, which are much yep. easier to use if you're cooking. And then we labeled them and they're stackable. And it took me hours to do it, to get rid of like the hard part was just getting rid of the stuff, the spices that I didn't use. Right. But then it was such a great sense of relief. I know mm-hmm. it sounds crazy, but, but I, it was such a great sense of relief just to have it all organized after. Right. And I'm sure you get that a lot from people that you're working yeah. and with. And
0: weren't right? you pleased with that? You got uh, yeah, that 100%. corner done. Yeah. And yeah. You know, yeah. hey, it makes your next, life easier.
1: Yeah, the sad truth is that's where it ended because there's a pantry that could use the same... The <laughs> same but,
0: <laughs> that's but okay, I've got baby steps, baby exactly. steps. Well, go in the pantry and just look at expiration dates. That's yeah. what, yeah, you know... that's a quick... We find yeah. 1982 Kansas soup. Like, you know, check your expiration dates yeah. and out By they just go. getting
4: rid of the expired food, It cleans out your area a lot
1: to move on. So let's talk about the logistics of decluttering. Mm -hmm. How much time should you give yourself? And how do you like, when should you start? What's your advice?
4: So if you're going to stay in your place, what you want to do is you want to declutter so that you're setting up your new, you know, a lot of clients, they have their bedrooms in the second floor of the house, right? right of course. So if you're going to stay in place and you want to downsize and have everything, as Rosemary calls it, kind of like fingertip access, you know, you want to think about moving your bed downstairs or, or moving, maybe you're, maybe you're moving around the main floor of your house a lot during the day and you want to have, you know, your vanity accessories and stuff like that in your powder room you know because it just makes it easier for you
0: i think you should start when you know your date of moving out of your home give yourself definitely two to three weeks to purge items that you know that aren't useful moving forward that you don't need that are perhaps even duplicates that won't be of any use and then start to pack up and donate in increments like that pack what you're keeping donate out
1: that's if you're if you're downsizing and if you're staying put i suppose. There's no time like the president it really doesn't matter. Right. Like it, there's always a good time. To well, sort some t-
4: some things that kickstart that is that possibly something has happened physically.
1: Ch- change of health. Yes. Change of mobility. And then you, you
4: just want to get things in place. So if you do have to move your bed downstairs, whatever the situation is, and you have to declutter an, an old dining room, or an old office, because that becomes your new bedroom. Well, that has to happen immediately. You know, it all depends on your situation.
1: Right. Uh, It's interesting. It's sort of a sidebar, you know, where the city is busy tearing down all the bungalows Mm -hmm. uh, to build McMansions. The truth of it is I'm reaching a certain age where I'm thinking to myself, it might be pretty nice to live in a bungalow on one floor. You know, I have good mobility, but I could see myself in 20 years from now not really wanting to go up and down the stairs to get to the bedroom. That's right.
0: We often turn two story homes into one story homes by moving their Master bedroom into a dining room and having to reconfigure the whole floor to accommodate.
1: So, what are the, what are people doing with the second floors when you're reorganizing like that? Is that for guests and things yeah, like that? Pretty
0: much,
4: pretty much. I mean, I've seen places up in Markham where uh, they have bought. It's, it's basically a retirement community full of bungalow style houses or bungalows with lofts. Right. Upstairs is all for guests. If guests come, the main floor has all the master and the master ensuite and everything that you need. You don't have to go upstairs. Yeah, but. You
1: know? Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So earlier you mentioned there's a sort of a decision, uh, you know, stuff you're going to throw away and maybe there's stuff you're going to donate. It has value for somebody, but maybe not a market. And then there are other stuff that might have a value. So how do you deal with that in the terms of decluttering?
0: Well, you ask your family members what they'd like, things that are important to you that you love that are needed. And then after that, you have to determine, is it a good idea to consign it? Because there's a cost that comes to consigning. Every place that you send it to, we need to physically get it there. So we have a cost of a mover. You also have to keep in mind that Commissions take 40-60 split, 50-50 split. So... At the end of the day, is that piece really worth moving forward? Or is it moving forward to donation where someone who can really use it will actually use it right. they need it?
1: Unless you really have a curated collection, I think a lot of the things right. that people amass over the years may not have the value that they think it does. Right, uh, You know, that piano, that dining room set, Absolutely. The, the, the ornate stuff. Right? And when mm-hmm.
0: we walk in, we, we will know that we, need, we can't ask just a normal consignment person to walk through. We need to ask an auction house to walk through the home. And we need to remind the children that, yeah, there's artwork that's valuable. There's China that's valuable. Let's not just donate it.
1: Right. Time for one last question, and that is, if you're downsizing and you're moving into a smaller space, what are the considerations and how should the process be driven?
4: So if you're downsizing, for example, into a retirement community or condo, um, you will always have your floor plans. They will always give you floor plans, and hopefully you have the measurements within those floor plans. Basically, you want to just take a look at your floor plans. You want to measure out your furniture. Maybe you have the opportunity to go visit it a second time. Time, measure all the walls yourself, come home, measure your furniture, make sure what you plan on taking is multi-purpose because you do need more storage. So you really want to take a look at what has more, uh, you know, drawers or cupboards in it. And then, you know, also, I, and I always say this and designers always laugh about this, but you always have to make sure you know your door size because many times furniture shows up and it won't fit through the door. So don't
1: waste your time. Make sure you know the door size. Well, that is a fantastic piece of practical advice that we are going to end up (laughs) on. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. So next month, you're going to come back and you're going to talk about designing specifically for seniors, right? Correct. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll discuss aphrodisiacs on The Tonic. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca.
4: This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio.
1: Megan Horsley is a registered holistic nutritionist, blog writer, and recipe developer. She's passionate about helping her clients discover their best selves with a holistic approach to their well being, with delicious food, movement, and thoughts. Megan loves witnessing the transformations that unfold. She's a knowledgeable and entertaining writer. And she writes for Tonic Magazine regularly, but today we're talking about something you actually haven't written about, right?
5: Exactly, yeah. So I'd say this time last year, we talked a little bit about libido, but today we're going to talk more about what aphrodisiacs are. So in light of Valentine's Day being next week at at the time of recording, I thought it would be fun to discuss aphrodisiacs. So what they are, how they work in the body, and then giving some examples of
1: those. A lot of people think they don't actually exist. Do do they exist? Are they real?
5: They do exist, for sure. But I I do think that it depends on a variety of factors, right, with anything. (laughs) So so the word aphrodisiac comes from the Greek goddess of love, beauty, and fertility. Aphrodite. Aphrodite, yeah. Aphrodisiacs are known for stimulating sexual desire and sexual performance, right? So they can come in the form of foods, herbs, and essential oils, or scents even. Mm -hmm. And so... Some examples of these, and we'll, we'll touch on a little bit later, but I want to talk about how they work, because there are a lot of claims out there. Yep. <laughs> so for foods, aphrodisiac foods can stimulate hormonal processes, as well as stimulate other chemical compounds in the body that affect your emotional reactions. Mm-hmm. Some of them can actually improve circulation. And some of them can reduce stress to allow your body and mind to relax, to really focus on the task at hand. The right? task? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, at least at least we hear where you're coming from. <laughs> your fiance is quite lucky.
5: <laughs> it really does depend on what the actual food is, right? Yeah. Um, there are a variety of ways that they can elicit physiological reactions.
1: Right. And there's psychological elements to it too, right?
5: Absolutely. Right. And then with essential oils, when they're inhaled, They actually affect the olfactory system. So this is basically what includes the organs related to our sense of smell. Right. Right. So when you inhale an essential oil, for example, or really any kind of scent, but we'll focus on essential oils here, you're inhaling airborne molecules into your body. And Mm -hmm. these molecules can actually attach to various receptor sites in your body. So if you're at all familiar with terpenes, some essential oils actually contain terpenes. Um, Not all of them do some mm-hmm. of them do. And um, this is also how CBD oil works in the body as well. So yep. terpenes are chemicals, natural chemicals um, found in essential oils and um, hemp, marijuana, for example, and they attach to receptor sites in, in the body. So this is actually oftentimes directly connected to the, the nervous system. Yep. So if these terpenes are attaching to these receptor sites, we can actually feel relaxation in the body.
1: Right. And there, there There are also when you're dealing with the olfactory, I understand it is attached to the most primitive part of the brain so that if you are stimulating through the olfactory senses, you're actually stimulating sort of our animal instincts, which obviously would help uh, with sex. So, you know, there are. I read this article once that said sort of with men, it resonates if you give them feelings of home or if you remind them of home. So the smell of apple pie can be an aphrodisiac, right? If the comfort and relaxation sort yeah. of get, which you wouldn't think for a man, but that, that so like women, if you put a little apple pie behind your ears, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're probably, you're probably going to entice your man. I, I read it. I can't cite it. Sorry. Go on.
5: Oh, I, to apple pie. Exactly. <laughs> But you're absolutely right. So, really, it does depend on the smell. Um, the smell can elicit different reactions yeah, 100%. in the body. Um, and specifically in what's called the limbic system. So, this is connected to the olfactory system, and this refers to parts of the brain responsible for emotions and memory. Right. So, when you eat a specific food or when you inhale a specific food you can have a memory attached to that, which will elicit certain emotions. Right, right? and it's
1: unique to every individual, right? So so for somebody, it might be that chicken dinner they had with their spouse on the first date or something like that. It it could be something as rudimentary as that.
5: For sure. And we see this with music as well, right? Just on on a side note, if you hear a certain song, it might remind you of a certain time in your life, right? And and elicit certain emotions. So these two systems are definitely connected and it's really interesting to see how personal they are um, with people in terms of food and, and smells. So why might you want to use aphrodisiacs? Well, for obvious reasons, a person may want to use Aphrodisiac foods, essential oils, and herbs, if they want to improve their sexual desire and performance. Very obvious, right? Yep. But this could be particularly desirable for people who suffer from performance anxiety, or those who are particularly affected by stressful lifestyles. If you are the kind of person who feel like you just can't relax, you know, you just can't relax to get into that mm-hmm. scenario. Yep. And if you simply just have low libido, right? right. So this could be a nice these options could be a nice, healthy alternative to aphrodisiac drugs. Right. So an interesting point here I I want to bring up is that, you know, some people may want to avoid these pharmaceuticals specifically because according to the FDA, an aphrodisiac drug can be any product that bears labeling claims that it will arouse or increase sexual desire or that it will improve uh, sexual performance. Right. So... If any product is labeled as an aphrodisiac, we're led to believe that these drugs are not necessarily regulated, right? So that's just one point um, because it can be any product that's slaps that label on. So having these natural options such as food and essential oils could be another way to help you with your libido.
1: Right. So so what are the oils that that might act as an aphrodisiac? Sure,
5: yeah. One example, and a lot of these that I mentioned often are because they have a calming effect on the body. So for, for one example, ylang-ylang, mm-hmm. which is kind of fun to say, yep. it induces calming of the nervous system and relaxes the body. Same thing with jasmine. So it has been shown to arouse the autonomic nervous system. So this is responsible for regulating heart rate, sexual arousal, among other functions. So it's interesting because those two are almost opposing. One will relax and one will almost stimulate heart rate, right? Mm. So it kind of depends on what you're looking for. But I will say that it's important to not self-diagnose, you know, before trying out different things, even essential oils, because even... If the Google search is convincing enough, if you've been having these symptoms for a long time, you know, there could be a reason, some kind of underlying reason going on. So it, it is definitely important to check in with your healthcare practitioner so that these issues can be brought to your attention. Sure. Some examples I want to talk about related to food, the most popular aphrodisiac is, can you guess? Chocolate. Dark chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. And I've actually met one person in my life who doesn't like dark chocolate.
1: <laughs> well, as, as, kids don't like dark chocolate. They like milk chocolate. Yeah, but you, you get chocolate. In, you, yeah, I, I don't trust people who don't like no, chocolate. No, it's
5: weird, right? It's yeah. really bizarre. There's
1: something wrong with that. <laughs> I, re, I read this You know, I read. I can't cite anything. But I read an article that there are. there's a certain significant percentage of women who would prefer dark chocolate to sex itself. <laughs> <laughs> the the sensations they that. get from the dark chocolate. <laughs> Um, and let me tell you, dark chocolate is my go-to yeah. late at night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we discussed emotional eating last month. Yes. But, you know, late at night, if I'm looking for some comfort, it's, it's dark chocolate.
5: Amazing that you brought that up. And there is obviously a reason for that. So there are two compounds in chocolate. Um, this one is fun to say, and I really yeah. hope it comes out properly. Yeah. Phenethylamine.
1: I can't correct you because I don't yeah. do <laughs> know. <Okay. laughs>
5: and tryptophan. Yeah. Or you've heard of that yeah. one. So these are both beneficial for libido, but phenylethylamine yeah. is actually released in the brain when we fall in love. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then tryptophan is a building block for serotonin. So this is a neurotransmitter that makes us feel happy.
1: Right. Okay. So So it's cliched. But you might want to get your significant other some chocolate for Valentine's, right?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's why. I mean, that's why it's the number one gifted thing that you can right. give around this time of year.
1: And personally, I would prefer to eat the chocolate than the oysters. I, like, <laughs> I, I know the oysters with the zinc are yep, are, suppo- yep. are supposed to like. I just I I've had oysters one twice in my life. And I'm okay with that. If it never happens again, so be it.
5: Yeah, and you're right. with the, With the zinc, it is fantastic for boosting testosterone. So yes. that was my other option or other food. Are there example. other food
1: sources for for zinc if you're not? Yeah,
5: yeah. So let's say you're a vegetarian. Chickpeas are a really good source of chi- that. I love as well. hummus. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. Um, so not necessarily as high as the oysters. There, you know. Definitely some might
1: argue. Top. Some might argue I have too much testosterone. So <laughs> so maybe I should cut back on the hummus, but. <laughs> a lot of people think that alcohol uh, is an aphrodisiac, but it's actually a depressant. Uh, it is a
5: depressant, but there's something interesting about about alcohol is that it, in a lot of ways, can relax the body, and that's because it it replicates the effect of GABA. So we have GABA made in the gut, and this is basically a neurotransmitter that relaxes the body, makes you feel really relaxed, kind of zen. You know, yep. this is why people will have a glass of wine at the end of the day, right? Yep. Um, and you know, if your gut isn't working optimally, then you may not be really creating GABA as much as you'd like to.
1: <laughs> right. And, and I would say this, right? Obviously, you know, a glass of wine is probably okay, but you know, if you're having a lot of alcohol, it's absolutely going to affect your performance negatively. So you you may be in the mood, but you may not execute. (laughs) Exactly. Anyways, we've got to take a short break now. Thank you so much for for coming on the show. Thanks
5: for having me, Jamie. Always been fun.
1: We'll see you next month. Uh, We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll learn how to kick your unwanted habits on the tonic. Do you worry about your cardiac health? Need to reduce your harmful cholesterol? New Roots Herbal offers natural supplement formulations to help reduce elevated blood lipid levels, help keep your cholesterol in check, and support cardiovascular well-being. Discover organic cardiac heart tincture, cholesterol, and slow-release CoQ10, natural ingredients and guaranteed potency for healthier days and a brighter future. Let's make life better. Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. And for more information, visit newrootsherbal.com. Jack Nathan Health offers Canadians convenient care with 74 multidisciplinary clinics located within Walmart stores. The largest ever Jack Nathan Health Medical Centre is now open in Vaughan, Ontario at 8300 Highway 27. The new 8,300 square foot clinic offers integrated services for the whole family, including family medicine, physiotherapy, and chiropractic, chronic pain management, massage, and a registered dietitian. There's also an on-site Dynacare blood laboratory, plus same-day referrals, walk-in appointments, and a new annual health assessment option. Jack Nathan Health is a one-stop shop for proactive health management. For more information, visit jacknathanhealth.com. Are you feeling mind fit and holistically healthy? Body, mind, and spirit are interconnected. So when you think well, you live well. The new psychologist recommended platform, thinkwell-livewell.com helps you to de-stress and feel in control, to change, to develop, and grow. Not only is it the closest thing you'll find to -to face-to-face counseling, you can try it for free. Whether you want to improve healthy habits, control your stress, or gain perspective, it's time to put your mind fitness first. Thinkwell-livewell.com, the mind-fitness toolkit for practical people.
4: This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio.
1: Nick Castle is the founder and president of Thinkwell Live Well, a wellness platform encouraging both wellness and personal growth through personalized, user-centric, and accessible self-development and therapy experiences. Mick's former fast-paced and stressful life as an advertising psychologist, while exciting, pushed him to reflect on his lack of fulfillment, leading to a fresh start with mindfulness. His career change took him from an international advertising high flyer to a multidisciplinary therapist and coach with an ultimate passion for wellness. With the goal of increasing public access to mindfulness-based services, Mick adapted his established in-person practice into the user-centric, low-cost, think-well, live-well platform. With his experience in mindfulness, cognitive and behavioral therapy, neuro-linguistic programming, dream work, and hypnotherapy, Mick is helping others find their path to wellness. Welcome to the show,
2: sir. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Jamie.
1: We are getting to that time of year where people who have the best of intentions to change their lives, who've made resolutions, start dropping like flies. I go to a gym regularly and And we all know January is super busy while they all try out the classes that they're intent on taking the whole year. But come February, that all sort of falls apart. Do you think there's a common reason why people fail in in, in making their changes?
2: Well, we're all different, and um, each one of us has our own complexities and and layers. But when I'm talking to people, there's a starting point which nine times out of ten gets the ball rolling. And that starting point is to ask people if they've addressed their emotional motivation for making the change. Most people think in logistical terms. This is my goal. This is what I have to list down to do. This is what I have to do every day. Right. And really, without addressing our emotions at the beginning, we're almost programming ourselves for a yo-yo experience. So it's all about emotion.
1: Can you give an example of somebody who would have an emotional reason for, for changing a
2: habit? Well, often the emotional reason is more associated with hanging on to a habit. So we develop our habits over time. Right. And our habits basically come with an emotional reward. And to get ourselves away from that reward into a different reward of the change state is the key difficulty. It's almost as though you could say to yourself, There is a part of me which really wants to change. So why can't I change? And the reason is that there is another part of you that wants to hold on to what you've got. And that is the part that's in control. Because if the part of you that wants to change, wants to change for logical, grown-up, sensible reasons, the reason it's being defeated by the other part is that the other part is all about emotion. And emotion will beat logic nine times out of ten in a head-on contest. Right. So somebody who perhaps enjoys their food, likes the feeling
1: of having chocolate late at night, or, you know, that bowl of ice cream makes them feel better, you know, the the taste, the feel. The Absolutely. Mouth, all. And
2: they like the short term hit. They right. act, there's actually a physiological effect of a release of dopamine. And it's very hard for that part of them, that inner voice, to buy into the idea of deprivation in the short term for something it can't quite believe in, in the long-term. So in that case, what should
1: we do in order to plan to start making changes?
2: Okay, so the very first thing we should really do before we do any listing of steps or materials or calendars is to self-examine, to get into a place where we understand what emotional reward we're getting from what, what we currently do yes and where we can start to build an understanding or a vision for ourselves of the emotional reward we'll get from change and when the emotional reward we get from change has a greater significance to us than the emotional reward from staying as we are then we can start to move forward it's a hard thing to do it's a hard thing to imagine
1: emotions you know like like i know how i feel if i've had ice cream if you haven't exercised It's really hard to imagine how you would feel that rush that you feel after exercising for an hour. That's really complicated.
2: It it is very difficult, Um, but that's one of the reasons why different techniques come into play to help us get into a state where we can let our imagination run free, because very often we're really just putting limitations on our our imagination. So we're afraid we, we might be embarrassed to allow ourselves to imagine the future in that way so
1: what sort of techniques would you
2: recommend that would go well, into the very that first thing we can all do and which i would recommend to anybody to do on a daily basis is start to start getting into a, a mindful state for a few minutes a day because mindfulness is now proven by mri scans and other parts of science to actually physically rewire the brain in a positive way however mindfulness isn't targeted so if you like Getting yourself into a mindful routine is like going to boot camp to get to a level of fitness so that you can get, then go to preseason training to do the real stuff. So the real stuff, the targeted stuff, can be achieved through techniques such as uh, hypnotherapy, but also waking state techniques such as cognitive behavior therapy or the self- investigation that comes with various parts of neuralistic, neuro-linguistic programming, as well as CBT. Which,
1: you know, I, I agree with you, but if you're trying to do something, let, let's pick something uh, concrete, like losing weight, you know, yeah. that requires a certain amount of work in and of itself. And now you're laying, layering on more work on top of that. You really have to be committed to want to do that, right?
2: Well, if you're not committed, you've got to look at yourself anyway, and ask whether the um, the life benefit is really what you're aiming for. Right. I would
1: imagine that in addition to sort of like understanding the steps and the work that you need to do, you have to sort of build up your emotional strength in order to do all the work that's necessary, right? I, I guess we're talking about willpower?
2: I wouldn't call it willpower. Wouldn't I would call really call it, let me put it this way. I talked about two parts. One part which is resistant to change. Yep. Imagine, maybe you, maybe most of your listeners have experience of dealing with children or teens and trying to get them to do something which they're not keen to do. Mm -hmm. So it's not about willpower. It's about inner negotiation, because we're describing an inner conflict. It's about resolving an inner conflict. And the other party in that conflict is often a very childlike part of yourself, that thinks black is white one day white is black the next day that thinks its reasons which are wholly emotional are logical so really rather than concentrating on willpower i think people get break, would i think people would get far better benefit by thinking about internal conflict resolution okay so how would they how would they go about it what would come next um, Self dialogue, which can be delivered by any of the techniques that I've described. And you can do this on your own. You don't have to go to a therapist. So you can use cognitive behavioral techniques. You can use NLP techniques. You can do this in hypnotherapy, which is available, widely available online. Right. What do you feel the benefits are of doing that
1: sort of cognitive work that you mentioned before?
2: It's revelatory. Um, you have to. Eventually become honest with yourself to an extent you may not have done before. I can best summarize it by something I've heard several times in face-to-face sessions where the person I'm talking to suddenly sits upright, eyes wide open, and says, Oh my god, I'm being a teenager. Basically, you get to realize what's really going on inside yourself, and that is life-changing in itself.
1: If somebody if you had a client or or somebody is is struggling to stick to their goals. I understand that you suggest that they reset.
2: Why is that? Yes. Well, as I've just described it, you're actually going into change as a kind of internal partnership between two parts of yourself that haven't worked together before. And it's usual in business, in life, that if you haven't worked together before, you have to check in along the way and see how it's going and see what's working, what isn't working. Too many people decide that once they start to struggle, that's it, they're failing. It's not the case. You just need to go back and recalibrate and start again with the new learnings that you have from what you've done before.
1: And as a therapist, I'm sure you see that this works for your clients, but have you used it yourself personally
2: in your personal life? Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, we wouldn't be talking here today if I hadn't five years ago, made a huge decision to change my life. Right. And that took a lot of doing. Um, my advertising career came with status. It came with, it came with money. Yeah. Um, and I had to have that moment of um, emotional breakthrough and motivation to do it. And it really came very simply. I realized to myself that advertising never brought me tears of joy yeah whereas what i do with other people does on a very regular basis i I think uh
1: that resonates with me uh i was a commercial litigator for 20 years and i was a good one but i wasn't happy and it manifested in me being obese uh you know i ate to make myself happy because i wasn't enjoying what i was doing with my waking hours so i agree with you and if that edifies your practice I, i think that's very good
2: indeed it's a beautiful thing. I enjoy it every minute of every day. And I really do feel those tears of joy. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for your time, Jamie.
1: Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Joel Thuna, Leanne Macellus, Rosemary Chimello, Megan Horsley, and Michael Cassell. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca find out more about the show you can follow us at the tonic talk show on instagram or facebook for great articles written by joel thuna megan horsley and other amazing health and wellness writers be sure to pick up your copy of tonic magazine tonics available free on racks at over 200 locations across the gta and delivered with the globe and mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in toronto or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on The Tonic, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to discuss the fear of death and meaning of life. The discussion will center on a brief documentary of the philosopher Herbert Fingeret. Go to thetonic.ca or caregiverservices.ca for a link to the documentary. We'll also discuss life-threatening deficiencies and life-sustaining sufficiencies, dealing with self-sabotage, and cooking as a labor of love. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week.
2: Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement.